Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are now back to chapter 8. We are in lesson 26. And we will begin from uh, verse 20. Last time we stopped with that verse. Uh, in verse 19 we read, Every animal, every creeping thing, and every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. So now everybody's out of the ark. And what is the first thing that is on the mind of, of Noah after all this year of deliverance? And you know, sometimes people get get so very excited when they are delivered and totally forget about the one who delivered them and go do their own thing. Well, Noah made it very plain, being a very, very righteous man. And that's what we should all learn from that. We should be people of gratitude. And that's what exactly he was going to do now, show his gratitude to God. In verse 20 we read, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So Noah knew exactly what the law of God said about this matter. And for that matter, he knew about all the other laws of God, and it was explained before that. Noah did not live in a, in a time of uh, ignorance or blindness. After all, uh, even in, uh, in the land of Babylon later on, there was an awful lot of knowledge. That's when the code of Hammurabi came, if uh, some of you heard about it. About that code had an awful lot of the laws of God in it, uh, to the point where some historians looking back at it they thought that actually Moses got it, that is the law of Moses, got it from Hammurabi, because there's so many similarities there. And that makes it very plain that the knowledge of God was there, and the people that walked in righteousness walked in that truth, and it was not an age of total ignorance. And therefore, when Abraham came on the scene, he did not come into an era or into a house of ignorance, but there was a lot of the knowledge of God here. And so, with Noah, it's the same thing. When he comes out of uh, the ark, he knows exactly what, what to do. There is no instruction here. God didn't ask him to do it. He is showing gratitude to God. And so it says, Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And that's also a spiritual lesson, not only for men, but the fact is that even the beasts of the field, they were delivered. They were delivered from total destruction and so they too, in essence, are giving an offering to God. And of course, Noah is the one doing it for them. Uh, and so, we see that there is a, a new chapter in the beginning of the relationship again with man and the beast of the field and the creation and God that created it. And in verse 21, we read, And the Lord, uh, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And there is a whole world of knowledge in that scripture. In the scripture here, in verse 21. Of course, we're not going to cover everything, because there's too much there. But at least we'll have some highlights. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. In other words, God who created the senses is himself having those senses, and so he can smell. And he likes that smell. And some people say, well, they did not want, uh, actually, uh, some Jewish uh, writers, as they went through that, they said, well, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not really good to convey the concept that God is like men. And so we're going to change that and say, well, God really accepted the sacrifice. Uh, there is no need to do that. There is no need to pervert the law of God to fit our own ways and our own thinking. And that's exactly what we've been doing it for thousands of years. And therefore we've been going astray. And that's why from the Garden of Eden God said to, to Adam, 
This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's symbolically of that. I don't want you to touch it. And that's what he's saying to all of humanity. And that's exactly the opposite of what humanity has done. And even those who call themselves people of the book, the chosen people, and the spiritual leaders of Israel. That's what God uh, told uh, Isaiah in chapter 29. He says that because people rebel against me and speaking about his own people, he said the wisdom of their wise shall perish. They will think that they are wise, but they are not wise. And the reason why they are not, because they begin to use their own minds, their own reasonings, their own thinking, their own ways, you see, and their own thoughts when they come to read my word or obey my voice or interpret whatever I told them. And the people of God who are very simple-minded, they just go to God and see what God says and, and allow him to, to lead us into uh, the simple truth. And that's all there is to it. And so it says that the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. He's, he smelled the soothing aroma. It's as simple as that. No need to, to pontificate or philosophize around it. And he smelled it and said, it smells good. And then the Lord said in his heart, so Moses is recording it and God is recording it to Moses. So that's how Moses knows about it. It's not necessarily that no one knew about it. And God says it in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. That is in the same manner that I've done this time. Total flood and total destruction. Although um, the imagination of man's heart, in Hebrew, Yetzer, Yetzer, Lev Adam, in other words, the... Uh, we covered that in, in particular earlier about the Yetzer because we read about it in the beginning of the, before the flood came where God says that man has something in him that constantly forms evil thoughts and that's called Yetzer. Yetzer comes from the word to form, to create. You see? But it says, in essence, that there is something in man is that tendency, there is that nature. People try to give it all kind of, all kind of uh, persona, you know, I mean, uh, personalities or to personify it, uh, sort of make it a person, you know, the good uh, good uh, force and the bad force, you know, some say may the force be with you, speaking about the good one. Uh, basically, God says, in the heart of man, there are two laws, as later on was described in different ways, there are two laws, two pulls that go this way and that way. And all that is based on the fact that either if we are going to obey God, then the spirit that is in us is going to be influenced by the spirit of God. And that's going to be one yet, so to speak. And therefore, all of our thoughts will be governed and will be formed by that inclination and by that tendency and by that influence that comes from God. And if we allow another spirit to come in, now we've got two spirits that are working within us. The spirit of God on one hand, and when we listen to it, we do right. And the spirit of Satan that enters into us, if we allow it in... And when we do wrong, it's because we are listening to the other spirit. And so he said, man just has now this two spirit in him, so to speak, being influenced by two. And in the case of the people of, uh, of the generation of, of Noah, they just went totally in the direction of one spirit. They would not even allow even a portion of the knowledge of God and the spirit of God to function within them and influence them. And that's what God is saying. I realize that, the, that it is, you know, that which is forming or creating in men uh, those kind of thoughts, and in, in English was translated the imagination of man's heart, or yetzer in Hebrew, is evil from his youth, unless he is educated, unless he is tamed, unless he is civilized, unless he is taught the way of God, 
unless from a very young age is God commanded Israel, now that you know your God, now you should teach it to your children, unless a child is being taught in the ways of God, unless he is taught to be influenced by the right spirit, he is going to think evil from his youth. He doesn't have to wait until he's getting older to do that. From a very young age, children can do a lot of evil things, even though they don't fully comprehend what they are doing. And that's what God is saying. Well, they, they, they've allowed themselves to function in that way, and that's why later on Jeremiah is recording that statement from God in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the heart that is in man is deceitful. Why is it deceitful? Because it's not leading to the understanding of God, but to the understanding of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to another spirit. And because of that, it's very sick and needs to be healed. And that's what God is saying. This is the way man is going to continue, so it wouldn't make sense to constantly destroy him because we don't achieve anything by that anyway. And so it's going to put up with it and work with it in a different way. And so that's what he's saying. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And so from that time on, God began only with selective punishments. And then when he saw men going totally way out, then he would cause and allow either war to come and destroy them, or pestilence, or famine, or droughts. And that's when we all call, you know, the, the, the calamities of nature. It's not calamities of nature. It's God is finally sick and tired and fed up with certain populations, and he's allowing those things to come or causing them to come. They can happen on their own, and that's how he gets rid of the problem, without having to destroy all of humanity. And that's what he's saying here in essence. And so in verse 22, he's saying, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, this is the first time these things are introduced, day and night shall not cease. Up to now, you heard about day and night and then, uh, and then about the Sabbath. And then, uh, and then months later on. Now he's talking about the seasons. Uh, the first time that is mentioned in that sense. And uh, day and night. In other words, uh, all those things will continue as they are from the creation. Just a, a day will be there and a night will be there. So it will be the summer and the winter and cold and heat and all that. And uh, time has not been lost as some people think, well, time has been lost. No, it's, it's been always like that. From the day of creation, that when God placed men on the, on the face of the earth, a day was a day, 24 hours a day. As later on you read in the scriptures, uh, it is made very plain. That hours and days and months and years and all that uh, have not changed. And now we go to uh, chapter 9 and uh, verse 1. We're seeing, in essence, uh, a repetition of Genesis chapter 1. And so we read, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Just like he told Adam and Eve. As you can read it in, uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 1. When God created Adam and Eve, in chapter ver in, uh, 1 and verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us ma make men in our image and our likeness. Uh, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over all the cattle, over all the earth, and creeping things and so forth. And then uh, it says in verse 28, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and uh, every everything else. But... All that is in accordance with the law of God, not contrary to it, in accordance with the knowledge of the truth, of the truth of God, of the laws of God, of the, na of the nature of God, the character of God, not that of Satan. Not anything that comes out of the tree of the knowledge of good 
and evil. You know, you may be hungry and somebody gives you an apple, but if you've got poison in it, the apple was good, and you may satisfy, satisfy your hunger, but then you die. And that's, in essence, what the knowledge of God, of man, is all about. So we have technology, and then it kills us. What's good in it if it kills us? Well, we enjoy it while we are alive, and until we get sick and then we, we die. Uh, God's way is not that way. That's why God, this whole world is going to be wiped out from the, the face of the earth as we know it today, in the sense of technology and the creation of man and, the, and all things that God uh, uh, forbade man to create, and yet man went ahead and did his own thing. God is going to destroy all that and begin a new earth. And so we're going to have a renewal and repetition in one sense of Genesis 1. Well, here, with the days of now, we see the second repetition of that. And the fear of you, in verse 2, and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. And that's an introduction of an, something new, in essence. Well, not something new in the sense that it wasn't before uh, that time. Because once Adam rebelled against God, then things changed, and, spirit, and the spirit of Satan and his demons began to influ influence the earth, and then men and the beasts of the field became murderous and destructive and voracious, and God had to destroy all of them. And so, the fear remained. While in the days of Adam and Eve, as long as they were obedient to God, there was no fear. There was no need to fear animals, and animals didn't need to fear anybody. But here God is not going to restore totally the way of life as it was in the days of Adam and Eve, before they rebelled, but now he's going to allow the beasts of the field uh, to live in such a way where they're going to have a measure of fear, and he put it in their heart and mind, and as long as man keeps away from the, the beasts of the field, and as long as animals keep, keep away from, uh, from men, they're okay. And uh, that's the reason why many animals keep away from men. They're just afraid of men. And so God is, is saying that. You're going to have to live with that, but at least I'm going to put that fear in them, and they're not going to destroy you, unless you, uh, again, uh, behave in a wicked way, and then uh, God is going to use those very animals to destroy you. And so he's saying here, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast on the earth, uh, of the earth, on, on every bird of the earth, and on all that move on the earth, and on all the, fl the fish of the sea. Uh, it's not that uh, fish is afraid of you, but he's talking about dominion also. Uh, they are given into your hand. But then again, you go into the, into the ocean, the, you know, and the little fish, you know, they flee away from you, unless a shark comes your way, and uh, unless you use some kind of uh, fire or whatever it may be to scare it away, you know, it will come after you. The journalist speaking, you know, man is given a dominion, and the fear of man is put in the, in, so to speak, in the heart of the beast of the field, and the fish, and the birds. And uh, peace would be there as long as they don't uh, cross each other in the wrong way. In verse 3, and every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Now here, some people say, aha, you mean uh, no one can eat everything. No, no the, the scripture made it very plain. Only that when God says every moving thing, he's talking about the clean things. Because he already made it very, very plain. That man is to eat only the clean. You know, the pure. That which God said is pure. And then in, in Leviticus, God in essence is not revealing for the first time but making it clear again to a nation that totally forgot what their fathers knew. That's what Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 is all about, is re-revelation of a knowledge that the fathers had known, not something new. So the law, clean and unclean, had nothing to do with, with, the, with Sinai or with the people of Israel, had to do from the Garden of Eden. 
You see? And that knowledge was there, and Noah knew it very well. So when it says, and everything that lives shall be food for you, every moving thing, you have to take it in, in, in the context, in the background, and then you'll understand the meaning of it. So it says, all those things I have given you, uh, and I have given you all things, even as, even, and uh, then he gives an example, even as the green herbs. See? And uh, with the green herbs, you don't need poisonous uh, plants. It doesn't mean that uh, because it's a plant you eat it, and so it is with the animals. You don't need poisonous animals either. Uh, those that have uh, an, uh, poison in them. Uh, and ju- just like as we said, you know, that the, the creatures at the bottom of the sea, and lobsters and uh, shrimps and things like that, they are the filters of the ocean, so to speak. They, they eat all the garbage uh, that is there, and they filter the ocean, and if men eat the garbage disposal, and that's what it is, then man takes all the poison uh, into his body, and gradually it's going to poison him to death. And to begin with, God says it's impure, and if you want to be pure like me and holy like me, you're not going to eat it. And that's as simple as that. And so God never allowed and would never accept any sacrifice uh, that man brings him, no matter how good intentions he had and how sincere he is, if it is not a clean animal. He can never offer a pig to God or ham or, or ask God for blessing on ham. Easter ham, they have it, you know, every Easter. They, they call it Easter ham. God is not going to accept it because God is an, it's an abomination to him. He's not going to accept it and he never sanctified it even though people say he did because they misunderstand the scriptures. And uh, in verse 4, he says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And people like to eat blood, drink blood, they make pudding out of it, and they eat it. And God says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. You see? In other words, if God sees an animal devouring a man, God is going to kill that animal. And today, that's the way it should be also. When we see animals, you know, like oh, we hear about all those uh, uh, dogs, you know, are mauling, you know, babies and other, you know, kids. And uh, those should be put to death because they've taken blood. And that's, that's a verdict that God has for them. And so he says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of men, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. So God made it very plain. In verse 6, that's the law. Whoever sheds men's blood, by men his blood shall be shed. So God sanctified killing, not premeditated murder with the wrong intention, but killing of the murderer. You see, the law in the Ten Commandments, does not say, thou shalt not murder, you see, it says, uh, in other words, it doesn't say, thou shalt not kill, it says, thou shalt not murder. So, God forbade murdering a person, because that has uh, the wrong intentions. But killing is okay. Well, there is a need to kill. And so, he says, you know, if somebody uh, kills someone, well, you go kill that person who killed. That's why the law of the avenger of the blood. And today, they put them in prison. That's not the law of God. Uh, Lord God says, you know, you shed somebody's blood, you eat an animal, uh, if you do it, then I'm going to require it from you, and if you do it for men, I'm going to require it from you. But for men specifically, said, whoever sheds men's blood, by men his blood shall be shed. And God gave laws to, to humanity to execute, you know, the death penalty on those who kill other people. For in the image of God he made, he, he made man. He makes it very plain. That in essence, when you kill man, it's as if you kill God. Because man is the son of God. 
But he takes it very seriously, and people shouldn't be playing games with that. And verse 7, And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, now that's something between us, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And his descendants are still alive to this very day. So this covenant is for us too. In verse 10, And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. It doesn't mean there is going to be, isn't going to be any destruction whatsoever. It just means a total destruction will never happen again. And so that covenant was, is with men and the beasts of the field and the creation itself. So the world is never coming to an end. It's just many things on the earth that God doesn't like. They will come to an end. Uh, trees will still be around and flowers and plants and even human beings and animals and, and all that. But an awful lot is going to be destroyed, but not total destruction. So there's never going to be a total end to planet Earth. And so God said, And I will never be, bring a flood of waters, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the Earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. And here is God going to introduce something new that was never before, for the simple reason that before that, uh, there were no clouds in the air, and the rain didn't come from the from the clouds. There was always a dew that came from the ground, and that's why there was uh, no uh, issue there, as we shall read here. Uh, verse 13, I said, my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Before that, there was no rainbow in the cloud because there were no clouds. That's one reason also why people didn't believe Noah that a flood was coming to destroy them. Because they've never seen that before. They didn't understand what he's talking about. Uh, verse 15. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And so we're talking today about, you know, the, the, uh, about the rainbow or the, the, the light, you know, the, the light of the angel of the cloud or things like that. All this uh, uh, comes from uh, this concept that there is never, uh, no matter how bad, you know, the storm may be, uh, there is a, a light at the end of the rainbow or the end of the cloud. And uh, we don't need to fear at all destruction even though it may seem to be that way because God is still alive and this is his promise. And he's going to keep it because he's God. And so, whenever there is a terrible storm which God sends, and for reasons known unto him, and it looks like uh, the whole earth is going to go under, God says, don't, don't worry about it. It's not going to be total destruction. It's just enough destruction to get your attention. Because uh, God doesn't bring destruction on the earth when people behave themselves. It's only when they don't. And unfortunately, in the process, you know, the innocent also are paying the penalty because of the weakness, you know, the wickedness of the unrighteous. And so that's what God is saying. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it. Literally, he's going to look at it, 
It's going to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth, the whole creation. And then, verse 18, now we are beginning to read a little bit of genealogy. Uh, verse 18, now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem is also always mentioned first, even though he's really uh, the one that was born last. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Now there is a reason why the scripture you see the way the, way the scripture is, is written in such a way because the mind of God is the one behind it. He's already giving you a little, a little uh, secret, so to speak, of what's coming. He doesn't record anything for no reason. So everything is a clue. Uh, just like when you see a movie, you know, the, the, uh, the director and the screenwriter and all that, you know, they, they throw all kind of clues into the movie in the beginning. You, don't, you can't put them together, but that, as time goes by, you put them together and that's how you become an, an active participant in the movie and that's what they want it to be. Otherwise, you lose interest and, and uh, walk out. And so God is, is, is uh, revealing to us here something which we're going to find later on. And so it says, and Ham was the father of Canaan. So the question is, why is that mentioned? Uh, why why uh, we don't know anything about Shem and, and, uh, and Jeff at this point? Well, there is a point that God is trying to make. Verse 19. These three were the sons of Noah, and from this the whole earth was populated from these three. And Noah began to be a farmer. In other words, uh, probably he was a farmer before that, and that's what he was going to be now. He was not a, a keeper of, uh, of sheep. He began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Uh, it's not that that's the only thing he did. Obviously, he had fruits and vegetables and everything else. But he planted a vineyard, and that, that's what the, the account is uh, concerned about, and so that's what he's mentioning here. In other words, when you see things like that, uh, read it from the point of view of the mind of the writer of the mind of the, of the one that is causing it to re, be recorded, which is the mind of God. What is he up to? So you follow him and then you find out. In other words, that's how you look for background and context and then you find the meaning. And so we read in verse 21, Then he drank all the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Now, there was nothing of a problem uh, for Noah in becoming a farmer. Nothing wrong with planting a vineyard. But then what he did with the fruit of the vineyard, and, uh, you know, that was the first time he drank in a whole year, probably. Maybe he didn't have wine all this time. And it was real good. And guess what happened? He drank a little bit too much. Noah, with all of his righteousness, still was a human being. And that should tell us something, too. Uh, we can be very righteous, but still human beings, and we make mistakes. And uh, we still can remain righteous by repenting. And God forgives us, blots out our iniquities, and we continue to walk with God. And so in this case... Uh, God is recording, and he's done it for all of his servants. He's not recording only the good things about them, but he's recording also about the bad, and then letting us know that we are all human, we all make mistakes, yet God is always merciful, and when we are repenting, he's willing to forgive us. So it has many lessons there. And so, he got drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And now we're going to find out what really happened. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, why is it that it was Ham and not one of the other sons? Maybe you're going to find out now when you find out who really did it. Verse 23. But Shem and Japheth took a garment. Look at the difference. Ham saw the nakedness of his father. But his two brothers were not willing to do it. When they heard about it, look what they did. When Shem and Japheth took a garment that laid it on both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. 
You see, they were of a different mind than Ham. And Ham already, at that time, uh, began to, to display a different attitude that later on got worse and worse and worse. And landed uh, a whole uh, people uh, of uh, different uh, nations into a lot of trouble as time went by to this very day. And so, this is what Shem and Jacob had done. They walked backward and they covered the nakedness of their father and it says that they did not, God made it very plain and he wants us to take notice, they did not see their father's nakedness while Ham did. Now, did Ham do anything? Uh, people who don't read it carefully would think that Ham had done something wrong beyond seeing the nakedness which he should not have but that's as far as he went. That was his problem. But something else happened there in verse 24. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son, not his son, but younger son. You see in the Bible at this point still there are no terminology of, of uh, nephew or nieces or aunts or cousins or grandson or grandchildren. You see, everybody was called a son. And that's why the Bible recorded it in such a way so you would know. It's not talking about his son but younger son. And younger son is talking about somebody else. That means grandson. And so this is what he said. And no one knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan. You see, not Ham, his father, who saw his nakedness, but Canaan. That's why previously we read in verse 18, And Ham was the father of Canaan. Because now God's going to lead the story in that direction. So you can see the mind of God, how it works there. And that gives us a lot of clues later on, as we read the Bible, how the plot will, can, will, uh, will develop by noticing all those little telltale, you know, of the story and the signs that God gives us in advance. And that's what he says, cursed be Canaan, and this is what he pronounced on him, and that is to this very day in many ways, which is unfortunate. Uh, he says, cursed be Canaan as servant of servants. Eved Abadim in Hebrew, a slave of slaves, he shall be to his brethren. You see, who are his brethren? Who are, who are the brothers of, uh, of Canaan? All the others, children of Ham and Japheth, and uh, even his own, uh, his own family too. So, that family that came from Canaan ended up, because of that curse, and also their own conduct and behavior, not only because of that curse. They were not always cursed, but there was an awful lot of slavery in that particular family, and a lot of, a lot of the slavery continued uh, until a recent time where, you know, you read about the big slavery that was in the United States, and that was only one part. Slaves were everywhere, and they were all, always, they were not Frenchmen, they were not Englishmen, you know, they were not uh, Chinese uh, as much, even some of them, uh, even though some of them were slaves uh, here and there to their own people and uh, used by others, but in particular, whenever you think about a slave, uh, historically speaking, beside those that fell in war, you, you generally talk uh, about uh, the black people. And you see the cursor, which is unfortunate. And that didn't happen to all of them. The ones of them that walked in, in, a, in a decent way, uh, they did not have to go through that. But uh, that particular family of Canaan suffered an awful lot of that. And that is, uh, again, those among them who were of that inclination. And basically what you have here, the first homosexual act. And you see the mind, the mind of God. When the curse was pronounced, God carried that curse, and that went on for centuries and thousands of years. And so that's what he said. Basically, Canaan, when the book got drunk, and that was the fault of Noah too, uh, Canaan, you know, there are no women around, 
uh, only sounds yet, uh, well, he did by nature like a beast. And uh, he behaved that way, and that's what happened. And that's oftentimes what happens when people lose their mind. You know, they do things they ought not do. And then there is also the influence of Satan to affect people to be perverted in, in their thinking. And that's exactly what God said, that the yetzer, that is, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, unless it is educated, unless the conscience is educated. That even when you are drunk, you never do things like that. You see, then people do that. And somewhere, somehow, Ham was not doing a good job on, on his son. Well, I'm sure that Noah did a good job on his, on his son. That is the father of Canaan, Ham. And so he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall, he shall be to his brothers. And he said, Blessed, in contrast, Blessed be the Lord, the God of shame. You see? And may Canaan be his servant. And so that's what you find often time. The, the family, the people that multiplied into nations that came out of Canaan became servants to the sons of Shem. And it says in verse 27, May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. So even Japheth will have servants of, of, of Canaan. And you see that the curse that was pervasive where two brothers and their families for thousands of years down the road are going to be blessed in many ways, and one family that is Canaan, and is not, he did not say all the other sons of Ham in that category, but one family in particular that was cursed. And uh, it's, it's a sobering fact, and uh, those who turn away from uh, you know, a wicked way, God delivers them. So even the children of Canaan, you know, they turn away in the days of, uh, of Abraham, still many of them were, uh, were decent. But time, you know, went by and they became worse and worse and worse and got to the point where God says, well, the land is going to vomit you out and going to destroy you. He brought Israel out of Egypt and he told them, you go kill everyone. And as Moses said very plainly, you don't leave anything that breathes. Nothing. Not a man, not a beast, not a child. Nothing that breathes. You see, kill all of them, he said. Destroy them. Because they became so evil and so bad in the sight of God where God says, that's the best thing that I can do for them. Just put them to sleep and bring them back in the resurrection, and heal them, and that's the grace of God. Grace of God does not mean you get away with murder. The grace of God, that means that he, he kills you when he needs to. That's also the grace of God. So you would not be in a worse condition, where you will become like a demon, and then he will have to destroy you for eternity. And that's basically what he did here. So it's, it's again, uh, even though it's a historic uh, reality for many, many thousands of years, it's a temporary one. And the time will come when nobody is going to be in that condition. And verse 28, And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And so, after that, we begin the story of the genealogy. And we are going to skip, uh, obviously, the genealogy, since we already covered it in a, in a very uh, thorough manner earlier. And so, we will, in essence, jump to chapter 11. And uh, in, in uh, the verse previous to that, chapter 10, verse 32, it, it talks about all, all the genealogy, that is, you know, all the, male, all the people that came from Adam and Eve. Uh, These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So these are the children of Noah. The three races uh, later on became races. It wasn't necessarily at that point. It was a gradual thing. How God worked it out in creating the races, oh, that's known only to him. All we know is, this is what we end up with, but that's not how it began. 
And so in chapter 11, uh, we read in verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And later on, at the end of time, God again said, the whole earth is going to have also one language, at least a clear language that can all communicate and worshiping, you know, with the same concept and ideas instead of being mixed up, you know, when, uh, when you lose something in the translation. And then that creates uh, animosities and conflicts and wars and divisions. And all of us are subject to it uh, to one degree or the other. And then it says in verse 2, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, because remember they were in the east, as I mentioned before that, about the raven, or rev, ma'arad, west. And so they were in the east, in, ter- in the terminology of uh, that now Moses is recording. Remember Moses is recording that. And where Moses is, is not in the east, he's in the west, in relationship to the east. And so, he's recording it from that point of view, and that's the way God recorded it also, geographically speaking, because he's in Mount Sinai, which is west of, the, of Babylon, which was in the east, and that's exactly where Noah landed in that territory of Turkey, and then along around it. And so, we read, and it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, which at that point was Turkey, presently Turkey, that is, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So, now they're going westward into the Fertile Crescent, as it became known later on because they were up on the mountains, obviously, and the mountains are not as habitable and hospitable as, as the valley. And so that's why they went to the land of Shinar, which was a very large, fertile valley, and it was normal for them to go in that direction. Nothing wrong with that. Verse 3, Then they said to one another, By now they are multiplying, by now they have their problems all over again, like before. They're not as bad, but they're getting worse all the time. Then they said one to another, Come, let us make bricks and bake uh, then thoroughly and they had bricks that is they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar oh, I'm reading it in English uh, basically you know the elements that they used to create uh, building material and they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens <coughs> excuse me whose top is in the heavens now we explained the concept of heaven before that anytime you are right above the air one inch above the air you are in heaven that means you are in the air and that's what he's talking about. It's not that they were interested in going up to the stars where God is. That was a misconception that some people have, uh, uh, because of misunderstanding, thought that way. Now, all the men by that, look, uh, we don't want to be scattered, and uh, let's all have one central location. So if we get lost, let's say we take our ship into the field, or we chase an animal, or whatever it may be, and we get lost, there will always be uh, a tower for us to know how to get back to town or to where everybody else. Uh, the concept was not totally necessarily evil. It's what was going to come after that that was bad. You see, we should not conf- confuse one with the other. It's what go- was co- coming after that, and that's what God was saying in essence. And so th- that's what they said, you know, let us build. So uh, let us build a tower whose uh, top is in heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, you see, so we would know where we are going to go back to, to town, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. In other words, so we don't all get lost. You know, that's a concept at the time. After all, there aren't millions of them at the, at the time. You know, just uh, thousands of them, you know, whatever they were. That's shortly after Noah. And after the, the, you know, the, the sons of Noah. There are not that many. We don't know how many they were. But basically, they wanted to stay in one place so they don't get uh, scattered and divided, you see. And, uh, of course... Uh, when, you, when you talk about things like that, well, the politicians appear on the scene and they want people to follow them and leaders want followers after themselves and that was the outcome of it. 
But the idea by itself was not necessarily evil. You see, to, to, to be able to, to have a centralized location. So we all know uh, where we stand. It just began with uh, maybe not the best idea and turned into a bad idea. Because God did not mean for them to be in one place. He made it very plain from the Garden of Eden when he told Adam and Eve, I'm giving you the whole earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the face of the whole earth. I don't want you to be, you know, uh, stinking in one place, so to speak. Uh, but that's in essence what they were going to do. And God knew trouble is coming ahead if people will decide to stay only in one place. And that's what we have in the big uh, cities. When we all decide to stay in one place, we run into each other. And we run over each other. And, you know, we take advantage of each other. And then we sell a tiny little piece of land for a huge amount of uh, money that all of your lifetime you cannot even pay for it. So all, all these are iniquities of people being in one place. And God says, hey, the whole earth is before you. Go all around the place. And that was uh, the, the concept of the, the pioneers of this, of the, of this land, uh, that is, of the United States. Uh, they went all over the place and uh, had the homestead everywhere. But when they began to live only in small places, then they had a lot of troubles. And so, in, uh, in verse 5, uh, that's how God sees it now, because of that. And so, in verse 5, we read, But the Lord came down. He came actually down. You see, He always came down many times, and He always, He still comes down many times, and we are not even aware of it. He comes down and He watches us. He walks in our midst many times. And we, we don't realize it. Uh, uh, especially when He has uh, people that serve Him. You know, He walks in our midst. And His angels walk in our midst. And uh, we were told, you know, to be hospitable to people because we never know. You might be entertaining angels, unaware. And a few times, now and then, God himself comes down when he has a really good reason to come down. And he had a good reason here to come down from heaven. And he says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all had one language. You see, now there is nothing wrong with people having one language. But the fact that the people are all speaking together in one place, that's a problem. And he says, and this is, verse 6, and this is what they begin to do. This is just the beginning. See, the beginning sometimes always seems to be very innocent. But he says, this is the beginning. This is what they began to do. And now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Either good or bad. Good is okay, but bad, that's very bad. And that was the problem of being together, not the problem of, of uh, being together in the sense of friends, you know, and family, and uh, let's get together, so to speak, but being together and using it for evil purposes, which men had done since that time. Verse 7, come, that's what God is saying now, come, let us, not let me, let us go down and there confuse their language, just like he says, let us create men in our image and likeness. In other words, he's injecting a thought here. I'm not the only one here. There are two of us. Let us come down. And, and of course, I'm, you know, okay, can say, well, this is not what it means. Fine. Uh, there's no need to argue about this point. But uh, we can continue. And so God says, let us come down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of, the, of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. In other words, God says you're going to put it to a bad use, because by now, people were eating basically more or less, a lot of them, with the exception of the very few, just like before, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And so God says, I'm going to put an end to it. And that's what he did. And so the Lord scattered them abroad uh, from uh, there over the face of the whole earth, and they ceased from building the city. And that was the end of this story. Therefore, its name is called Babel, that is confusion, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years, so now he's going to go into the genealogy of Shem, and we covered that before that. And I see that we are reaching pretty close to the end of the tape, so I'm going to stop at this point, saying greeting to all of God's people. And it happens to be Friday today, so I say happy Sabbath to you also. And we'll see you next time uh, in chapter, the end of the chapter 11. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions, the Bible has answers.